global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? Visit SectorSPDRS.com or call 1-866-SECTOR-ETF. European stocks falling while German government bonds rise with gold and the yen after explosions rocked a Brussels airport departure hall and a downtown subway station. Travel and leisure shares are leading the slide. Futures on the S&P 500 are also lower. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures are down 8 points. Dow E-mini futures down 46 and Nasdaq E-mini futures down 20. The DAX in Germany is down 3 tenths percent. CAC in Paris down almost 7 tenths percent. FT 100 down half percent. Ten-year Treasury up 5.30 seconds. The yield 1.89 percent. Yield on the two-year 0.84 percent. NYMEX crude oil down eight tenths percent or 32 cents to 41.21 a barrel. COMEX gold is up nine tenths percent or 11 dollars 20 cents to 12.55.40 an ounce. The euro a dollar 12.28. The British pound a dollar 42.46 and the yen 111.66. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. One of the advantages of Bloomberg surveillance is we. Have people that do the heavy lifting for us. Kasia Klimasinska has done the heavy lifting for me and Michael McKee this morning. She is with Bloomberg First Word and summarizes out of Washington and our news bureau in Washington the response of three presidential candidates. Mr. Cruz says he will defeat radical Islamic terrorism if elected. Mr. Kasich of Ohio says we must strengthen our alliances, redouble our efforts with our allies to identify root out and destroy the perpetrators of such acts of evil. Mr. Trump, as reported earlier, says we should close our borders in response to terror. Robert Mugga with us with the Igarape Institute. He is hugely qualified on violence across all of our global urban areas, including terrorism. Dr. Mugga, if you were to advise one of these three candidates with three very different approaches what would be your prescription for the new protection of society against suicide terrorism? Uh, I, I think there are a number of things I, I advise. Uh, and the first is caution uh, and uh, data and evidence to, to have a clear-headed understanding of what's happened before we barrel in. Uh, because I think sort of bullhorn-style approaches are likely to make the problem worse and amplify the risk than perhaps reduce it. But I think there's sort of three or four things that are that, 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 that might apply here. The first is that if you're, you're, you're going to address extremist, radicalist, Islamic, or other religious forms of extremist violence, you've got to start with your communities and your neighborhoods. Um, and that means building resilience in your communities, um, working with local groups, because they're there to stay, um, at, to, to try to address the remote radicalization that's taking place both online and off. The second thing you've got to do is you've really got to shore up your police community relations. In many of these areas, in Paris or Brussels or even in London, and frankly in the States, where you've seen the, the kind of extremist violence emerging is in those areas where the police have very little influence, where communities are hostile or antagonistic to the police, uh, and where, frankly, there's a lack of communication, understanding, uh, and awareness between these groups. And you can't do proper policing and intelligence-led policing unless you start getting into the communities. The third thing you got to do, I think, is have much better information sharing and intelligence sharing across borders. I think Europe has not done the greatest job uh, when it comes to sharing information. Uh, they're trying. They're trying to get their acts together. But what they're not aware of right now is that we are in the midst of a long-term 
campaign, uh, a guerrilla-style campaign. These are not isolated incidents that we're seeing in Brussels and Paris, but I think are part of a distributed network, uh, and we have to get much sharper and smarter about sharing our intelligence. And the final thing I'd say, uh, apart from investing, obviously, in development and trying to reduce inequality, is don't throw up the borders uh, so quickly. I think part of this effort of, of this ISIS and other groups um, is ostensibly to separate and divide communities, to drive people indoors and to create others uh, and, and reduce communication, not just domestically, but internationally. And I think if you start shutting down borders, uh, then we've lost. We have a well, the, the the Europeans have an issue that we don't have in regard to the borders, and that is the massive number of re- refugees coming from the Middle East. Without shutting the borders, how do they protect themselves? I, I think that we have to get a little bit. We have to obviously invest much more in screening uh, asylum claimants. We have to get much better at addressing uh, the, the warning signs before and during and after uh, asylum seekers seek, seek uh, safe haven in, in, in communities across Europe. Um, I think we have to avoid the hysteria, but we have to sort of be rational about how we engage this, this issue. Um, the fact of the matter is that a very small number uh, of those who were involved in both Paris and or the Brussels uh, in, you know, bombings were, in fact, asylum claimants and or refugees. Many were second and third generation Europeans. Uh, and I think you could almost say the same for, for the potential risk in parts of North America, that it's less likely to come from people seeking asylum, 99.9% of whom uh, are legitimate asylum claimants, and much more likely to come from, let's say, longer-term immigrants, second, third generation, uh, who feel somehow they haven't benefited from the dividends of, of, of the American dream. Now, the United States uh, has not had a major terror attack since 9-11. Is there something that the U.S. is doing that the rest of the world is not, or have we just been lucky? I, I think that, you know, the U.S. learned a very painful uh, lesson from, from 9-11, and there was a great effort to try to develop much more coordinated capabilities across different, uh, you know, sectors, um, and, and, and departments. And I think that the Department of Homeland Security and others have done uh, quite an effort to try to integrate. And uh, even at the local level, you've got dozens and dozens of these data fusion centers that have been established at the county and even city level intended to try to, you know, in- enhance the intelligence sharing and the response capability. So I, I do think that the United States has done, um, you know, a, a lot of their homework to try to address some of these threats. That's not to say at all that there isn't a risk, because the risk is still there. Um, the other issue that you already mentioned is the border question. The United States has only two borders um, for, through which there's enormous flow of people and products. Uh, but it's not the same situation as in Europe, where you've got multiple neighbors uh, with very complex, uh, and I would say you know, deeply rooted uh, migrant populations who have yet to integrate effectively. Um, so I think that you know, the issue of borders is a, is a major challenge for Europe, but, but you know, they need to negotiate very carefully. But I think the risk is of throwing back up the borders uh, is that you deepen the divisions uh, and you create more problems um, and you essentially fulfill the wishes of ISIS, which is to create a divided, uh, separated, polarized Europe. Within the polarized Europe is, I guess, the ultimate fear of a breakdown in post-World War II institutions. That's really, to me, not a goal of what we've observed in Paris and Belgium. What is the goal? Of ISIS, I, I think the goal is. Uh, but within Europe, is there a goal within uh, Europe? With the, uh, amongst the ISIS groups or amongst yes. the European government? Among, among the ISIS groups. 
I think the goal is to, I mean, the stated goal is to get Europe and the United States coalition allies out of some of these countries, uh, you know, in which, in which wars have been waged the last decades. Um, so the stated goal, I think, is, is about um, removing initially the United States and, and its allies from Syria, from Iraq, from Yemen, from other countries where they've been waging conflict. The secondary goal, I think, perhaps even it's aligned with the first, is to create a caliphate um, that spans particular territory uh, over which, you know, ISIS group affiliates would have dominion. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing in, in this large expanse mm. of Iraq and, and part of Syria. Um, the third goal, I think, is, is perhaps uh, about challenging um, <laughs> the dominance, as it were, you know, Europe and, and, and North America over the years uh, at its heart. And and this is where I think the radicalization of Europeans, the self-radicalization, the auto-radicalization comes into hold, um, where people felt disenfranchised or, or, or somehow unintegrated in the, in the broader project. Um, and so there's a kind of vindictive striking back at the heart of Europe. Um, but the, I, think, I think those are the stated goals. The United States canceled a uh, court hearing today in which uh, Apple and the government were to face off over unlocking the secrets of a terrorist cell phone. Uh, what is the line? Is it easy enough to define uh, for government officials in terms of civil liberties and protection? It's a very difficult line, and I think many companies are, are, are themselves struggling to, to determine where that line lies. Um, you know, obviously, the, the question here is the balancing of public safety against individual privacy. Uh, companies like Apple, Google, Facebook, Twitter, and others are all, I think, deeply sensitive about uh, the, the risks to the integrity of customer data, but, but also the, the slippery slope. Um, and I, I think what's interesting is, you know, this this dispute or this court case that's over, you know, over, over the phone um, in, in the San Bernardino case, I think it's presaging a, a much more global struggle right now between companies and states over where to draw that line. But I mean, in their defense, companies like Google, Facebook, and Twitter have all started the last couple of years to take much more proactive efforts uh, to try to, for example, scrape out pro-ISIS websites or Facebook holds. Uh, Twitter itself has taken down 100,000 plus, I think it's 125,000 Twitter handles. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Google uh, has introduced new AdWords programs to, to try to uh, have pro and positive right. counter narratives. So uh, you'll see companies, I think, also starting to be more proactive. Well, Robert Morgan, greatly appreciate this. He is from Brazil this morning, from Rio, and I really appreciate your efforts to be with us. Irgrapi Institute's Robert uh, Muga. We'll have much more coverage here, much to talk about, a little bit of market coverage as well. Again, Sterling Weaker this morning. Michael McKee and Tom Keene with all of Bloomberg Worldwide. This is Bloomberg Surveillance.